on. There we go. Um, well, hello again. It's me once more. Uh, we are going to continue on in our series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to grab that Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, week after week, for the last, this is week five now in our series, for the last five weeks we've been talking a lot about wisdom and we've been hearing this invitation again and again and again to come and get wisdom. It's as if God's trying to tell us something, right? He's trying to get something through our, our thick skulls here, I think, um, to go get wisdom. And so today we're, we're kind of finishing our time in the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs. Uh, 1 to 9 kind of forms like the introduction to the book, really. And we're finishing our time in, in, this, in this part of the word before heading into the Proverbs themselves, which are to come. And so today, Proverbs 8 acts as the final conclusion and the final kind of exhortation for us to get wisdom in our lives, just in case we haven't heard it already, just in case it hasn't gone in yet. And so um, chapter 8, guys, it's, it's honestly an incredible chapter in the Bible. It's an incredible chapter. This chapter is about how the doctrine of creation makes us wise. How the doctrine of creation makes us wise. Uh, back when I was young, um, six, seven, uh, grade one or two, something like that, I, um, I needed reading glasses. And the glasses that I got were these like thin gold wire kind of frame glasses, which is kind of hilarious. At the time, not particularly cool. Now, probably very cool because that's the way coolness works. Um, anyway, I never wore them. I just like, I needed them for reading apparently, and I just refused to wear them. Um, time went on, and I, as, as time progressed, turns out I became very blind. I couldn't see anything. Like, uh, I became very short sighted. Um, even to this day, I can see to about this, I can see to about there very well. And then after that, right now, I can't see any of you. Um, I'm proper blind. I'm wearing glasses today to make this point, actually, to be honest. Uh, if you haven't picked that up, I normally wear contacts. Um, but today I'm not wearing contacts, I'm wearing glasses, just to prove that I'm blind. Um, anyway, so what happened is in primary school, I couldn't see the board, not even, not even nearly. And so I learned all these kind of coping mechanisms for getting through. And so my teachers, I think, just thought that I was lazy, because I was always the last one to do my work, because I had to wait for these other kids, who, to be honest, were quite stupid, um, <laughs> to finish their work so I can copy their work. Um, I was quite bright kid, and so I kind of flew through until this point, and then I had to, st and then I had to start relying on other people to do their work before I could copy it. And I think it was driving my teachers crazy because they knew that I was bright, but I was always the last one to do my work, trying to, you know, cope without being able to see. Eventually, because I hit it so well, eventually I got my eyes checked, and I remember I still have this distinct memory in my mind of the first time the optometrist put glasses on my face, and I could actually see, and I almost fell off my chair. I don't remember how old I was at the time, um, but I almost fell off my chair. It was crazy. You could see, you could, you can see people's faces. That sounds crazy, but I didn't know that. You could see people's eyes. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, I remember on the drive home being like, I thought trees were just green shapes. Turns out you can see the leaves, like individual leaves, like you can actually see them. I didn't know that. I was just like, that's a shape, a uh, green shape. The one that got me the most, I think, though, the one that I found just amazing, was the first time I actually saw the stars. I just remember looking up being like, oh, 
I thought people were exaggerating. <laughs> They're actually really amazing. I've never, I didn't know you could actually see them. I thought they were just kind of up there, and yeah, we know the stars. But no, you can see the stars. Today, Proverbs 8, it's like we're going to the optometrist together and we're getting a new prescription from the Lord. We're going to see everything in a new way, and it hinges on this doctrine of creation. If the Lord created this world to live wise in this world, it entirely changes. Right? Everything hinges on creation. It's like the magic glasses that we put on to see everything. And really what Proverbs 8 is trying to say is that your life will never make sense. In fact, you will be a fool until you realize whose world you are living in. Your life won't make sense. You'll live a life of foolishness until you come to realize whose world you're living in. And so this is what we are seeing in Proverbs 8. So let's dive in. Uh, we'll fly pretty quickly through the first big chunk, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sit from 22 onwards. From verse 1, though, it says this, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in, the, in front of town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. And so way back in, in chapter 1, we saw this, right? We saw back in chapter 1 that wisdom is personified as a brilliant woman, Lady Wisdom. Um, but notice what Lady Wisdom is saying to us. She is calling. So she's calling out for us. Come get wisdom. She's calling to us. She's standing in the city square where everyone can hear. She's not in the ivory tower. She's in, on Main Street. And she's saying, come get wisdom. And in the same way now, God is calling for us again to heed his voice to come get wisdom wisdom. He is the initiator. He's always trying to get our attention. The question we have to continually ask ourselves is, are we paying attention to him? Are we listening to the Lord? I don't know about you, but I am easily distracted. I'm a product of my generation, I guess, with technology, and I find it hard to not be distracted. And so I, I need to hear the Lord saying, pay attention. Stop. The wise know they need to stop and pay attention to what the Lord is saying. So let's see what his call is to us. Verse 4. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of men. He's trying to say, this is for everyone, right? O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Uh, that's us. We're the simple ones, we're the fools. Just in case you were wondering. And so the call here is for everyone. Hey, simple ones. Hey, fools. Everyone. Everyone's included here in this call. God's grace is given to imperfect people, to fools, and to the simple. It's available to anyone who will hear it, which means there is hope for even me and you. This is what she's calling us. Verse 6. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. I love this idea of wisdom being noble. Honorable, what is right, what is good, is high morality. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous, and there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver. 
and knowledge instead of gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all and all that you may desire cannot compare to her. So there's two things we're told to do. There's two kind of instructions. Hear wisdom, take it. Right? Hear and take. Hear wisdom, take her instructions. Instead of silver, instead of gold, instead of instead of jewels, if you could pick between treasure and wealth and riches and wisdom, pick wisdom every time. That's what she's saying. We've heard that call. Verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. So this is some strong language, isn't it? Hate evil. Hate perverted speech. It's saying that if we're going to love God, we actually have to hate some things. We can't, we can't love God and love everything. We have to hate some things. We have to say a firm no to evil. Turn our back on evil and call it for what it is, evil. It is wise to hate what God hates. And then verse 14 onwards, I have found counsel. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I will walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So again, we've seen this again and again, haven't we? We've seen this... um, claim that the path of wisdom leads to a blessed life. It just does. Life works when we follow God's righteousness. It leads to integrity, to righteousness, to goodness. And those, verse verse 17, notice verse 17, those who seek her will find her. If you go after wisdom, you will find wisdom. And so again, let me call you one last time to the quest, to the treasure hunt, to go get wisdom, to live a life marked by this lifelong quest for wisdom and never stop seeking wisdom. It'll bless you. It'll bless your family. It'll bless bless your friends. It'll bless your neighbors. It'll bless the world. Seek wisdom. All right. Verse 22. The tone shifts in verse 22. Wisdom begins, again, the personification of wisdom in verse 22 begins to talk about her role in creation. And so I've got three points. Again, we'll, we'll spend most of the time on the first one. Um, three points today from this passage. Firstly, God's wisdom came first. God's joy, point two, God's joy came first. And finally, God's son came first. So God's wisdom, God's joy, God's son, they came first. They, they beat us to this world. We came after they did. That's what I'm trying to say there. So firstly, God's wisdom came first. It was here before we were. Verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Now, this verse has caused 
possibly more controversy in the history of our, our church, of the, not our church, the church, global, uh, than potentially any other verse in the Bible. This is possibly one of the most divisive verses in the Bible through history, especially in the early church, okay? So for us, this is ancient history, like literally ancient history. Um, but in the first few centuries of the church, this verse was massive. One, one early theologian named Arius took this as his life verse to argue that Jesus was created by the Father. That Jesus was created by the Father. Um, which means that Jesus, there was a time when Jesus didn't exist, right? So God always existed and then Jesus was created. That's what, that's what he used this verse to say. And, it, and he got there because their translation at the time from the, from the Hebrew into, into their Greek translated it, the Lord not possessed me at the beginning, but the Lord created me at the beginning. And so he was like, here's the verse in the Bible, right? Wisdom was created by God in the beginning. Um, even to this day, still to this day, there are those who argue in that direction, right? The, the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is what they believe. They believe that Jesus was created by the Father. And they use a verse like this to substantiate their belief. They don't believe Jesus was God. Let me say two things to make clear why you're probably not even aware this is a conversation anymore. Firstly, their translation was not great back then. The ESV translates this as possessed wisdom rather than created. Um, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. So there was a translation issue. You could argue that that's not entirely a 100% ironclad argument, though, because language is slippery, right? Um, but more importantly, there's a more obvious reason why we don't believe this is saying that Jesus came into existence. Proverbs 8 is a poem. It's poetic. And this is a poetic Device, Proverbs 8 is not teaching us there is, that there is a goddess named Wisdom who was there when God created the world, um, who hung out with God in creation. This, this is a poetic device. This is not a one-to-one -one equating of Jesus with Wisdom here. This is not what's happening. This is, you, might, you might think of it more as like a, um, like a father trying to teach a son. Again, that's what Proverbs is. Uh, putting on a sock puppet on his hand, right? And he's, um, he's, playing, he's got a little sock puppet there. She's got long hair. Right? So she's a, she's a lady puppet, and she's wisdom, and she's talking, and so she, the father's using wisdom to talk to her, his son about, um, about her role. And so he, he, you know, he, like, he like winks at us. We all kind of understand. It's a sock puppet. He's not actually saying I'm a woman now. Um, that's not what's happening. So this is a poem, right? Um, wisdom was there in the beginning. We'll come back to that. Let's, let's read through verse 23. We'll see. Uh, what wisdom has to say. She says, Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. So before you and I were here, wisdom was there. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there, no, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, and the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, when he made the sky, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. Like a master workman, I was daily his delight, 
rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. So what, what this, these verses are saying is that our world that we live in is not random, it is not arbitrary, it's highly structured. It's structured because it's governed by wisdom, right? So you might, you might say it this way, you might say that there's a, there's a moral fabric to the universe. There's a moral fabric to the universe. You know, you look outside the windows and you see a truck or a van, you see trees, um, you might see a bird out there. Um, but there's also invisible things that you can't see, right? The wind, electromagnetic fields, uh, radio signals, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's other things. There's the moral fabric to the universe that's invisible as well. That's also there. That's what this is saying, right? And growing in wisdom is the process of us discovering the way God made the world to be. Right? That's, that's what growing in wisdom is. It's, it's living in line with the world that God has made. So, so wisdom knows that me and you, we don't just invent reality. We, we, we don't just create it, right? We discover it. We discover what's actually there. We, we're all born, as I, say, as I said before, we're all born into an objectively existing universe. Before we came into the world, wisdom, God, through wisdom, made the world. And we, came, we now live in his world. We didn't create it. We stumbled into it. Which means it's our job, it's my job and you, your job to accept, to discern what's there, to accept it, and then to adjust ourselves to what God has made. It is the wise person that goes, some, that the world works like this, God has set it up like this, and I'm going to live my life as if that's true, rather than going against the grain of the universe your entire life. That's what a fool does. Brett McCracken, who we discovered a few weeks ago, who still has my favorite name, uh, he said this. He said, we don't get to choose whether or not something is true. We don't invent truth. We don't determine. We don't determine it. We search it out and accept it with gratitude. Even, and I would say especially, when it's at odds with our feelings or preferences. The wise person says, I'm living in God's universe. He has created it to be this way, and therefore I'm going, to adjust, I'm going to accept that and adjust my life to work so that my life works in his universe. I can't just deny that. And that's especially hard, I think, when it cuts against what we want to be true. There are certain things that I want to be true that aren't, certain things that you want to be true that aren't, and it doesn't help when we live our life in, with the delusion that we are always right. There's an example of this in Isaiah 28. Um, I find this very interesting that this is in the Bible. I haven't got it on the screen, so you'll just have to listen along. Isaiah 28, see if you can follow his logic here. This is Isaiah speaking. He says, Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface... Does he not scatter dill and sow cumin and put, it in, put, and put wheat in rows and barley in its proper place and emmer at its border? For he is rightly instructed and God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing, a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. 
But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No. He does not thresh it forever. He drives a cartwheel over it with his horses, but he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Okay. I'm not sure if anyone came with me on that journey. Let me explain. Because I'm not a farmer, you're not a farmer, probably. Um, The Bible just said there is a right way to farm and there is a wrong way to farm. That's what he said, basically. There's a right way to farm, there's a wrong, there's a right way to deal with dill. There's a right way to deal with cumin. There's a right way to deal with wheat. And there is a wrong way to deal with dill and cumin and wheat. It just doesn't work. You try it, it would just you'll ruin your harvest. It just it's just how it works. It's the world God has made. And verse 29 tells us this comes from the Lord. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And so the wise person goes, this is how God has made the world. This is how, this is how, this is how it works. And accepts that fact and adapts to that fact rather than living in denial of that fact. The fool pretends that he can shape the world the way he wants. He cannot. The fool cannot shape the world the way he wants. So, let's take the most pointy modern example I can think of. And it's kids in the room day, so we'll keep it nice and G. Um, But think with me about how this applies to, say, sexuality and gender today. I'm sure you can always see how this is going to go, right? God has created the world. He's created it a certain way. Genesis tells us he's created humanity, male and female. That's just baked into reality. That's just how creation is. That's how the world is. Even down to the genetic level, we're talking about XX and XY genetically, on the, on the biological level, right? In this conversation, let's just put aside all of the genetic kind of like abnormalities that do exist, the genetic anomalies, like the intersex as an exception there. Uh, but generally, we're talking about a binary of XX and XY. We're talking about two categories. Our modern world, as I'm sure you're aware, has decided to do away with that concept, right? We are in the process of tearing down all of those distinctions in order to create humanity in our own image. Not made male and female, but made whatever we want. This is what we're doing, right? We're, We're trying to recreate humanity in our own image. The problem is, is that that doesn't change biological reality. It doesn't actually change the reality of the situation, right? It doesn't change what actually is. And so just because we don't, as a society today, recognize what God has done, that doesn't change what is actually there. Dallas Willard, he puts it incredibly well, He's, uh, on a, just in general. He says, truth reveals reality. And reality can be described as what we humans run into when we are wrong. A collision in which we always lose. So if you can imagine we're a, we're a car driving down a highway and God has placed these barriers around us, uh, the walls, really, and we can't see them, but if we steer into them, we will crash into them. They're there, whether or not we want to agree that they're there. And that's, that's just the way the world is, is made. He has made these invisible guardrails, which we crash into, and we try and recreate, re- reconstruct reality on our own terms. 
we can't do it. It can't be done. We will always collide and we'll always come off second best. Now, wisdom discovers God's truth and remembers we're living in his universe, not the other way around. We're living in his universe. Wisdom then, it flows with the way God has made things. We go with the grain of the universe. We don't cut against it. We're not trying to constantly struggle against the way things actually are. And again, I use that example just because it's so pointy at the moment. Um, But this applies absolutely across the board in all of our areas of our life, right? Our relationships. God has made our relationships to function in a certain way. And when we refuse that, they go badly. God has made money to work a certain way. Right? We are to use money and love people. What do we do? We love money and use people. God says, no, don't love money. Use money and love people. Right? God has created sex to work a certain way, right? Within the safety of a lifelong covenant of marriage. That's what he's created. He's created a good and right, and it is to be used in that context, he says. He's designed work to work a certain way, right? Not to be the center of our lives, not to be our entire identity, but to be a way we can do good in the world, a way we can love those around us. We can put our hand to the plow and work. He's designed church to work a certain way. I'm always a little bit nervous with how we constantly want to redefine what a church is. God has made it to work a certain way. One body, many parts, unified in the Lord, unified by the Spirit, one baptism, one Lord. And finally, he has designed you to work a certain way. He's designed you to work a certain way. So the question I want to put before each and every one of us today is where are you in active denial of the way God has created the world to work? Where are you in active denial of the way God has created this world to work? Where where are you cutting across the grain of the universe rather than actually living in the way it's meant to, the world's actually structured to work? Stay humble. Remember, you're the creation. He's the creator. You are living in his universe, not the other way around. Changes everything, doesn't it? All right, let's go to the next point. First, God's wisdom came first. If we want to flourish, we've got to identify that, accept it, adapt our lives around him, not the other way around. Um, The next two we'll go through a lot quicker. um, But I just wanted to point these two out, okay? Firstly, God's joy came first. Look at me at verse 30 and 31. I'll go from 29. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and get this, delighting in the children of man. These verses are telling us about the joy of wisdom during creation, or more specifically, I think we could say, God's own joy in creating the world. God's own joy in creating the world. You know, the Bible teaches us that God did not create us. He did not create the world because he was in need of something. He didn't create us because he was bored. He didn't create us because he needed anything from us. He didn't create us because he wanted a friend. 
God is infinitely happy and contented within himself, within the Trinity, within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit. No, he didn't create us because of a need for anything, but out of an overflow of his joy and of his love. An overflow of his joy. Right, Dan Fuller, he said it well. He said, creation is God's joy gone public. He wanted everyone to share in his own joy. You know, God is actually incredibly enthusiastic about the world he's made. He loves it. We just read that he delights in the children of man. He, is, he loves his world, but he most loves his people. He loves his people. You know, he, is, he is wholehearted. He is joyful. God is the happiest person in the universe. Often we think of him as a grump. That is unfortunate. He is happy of heart. And he is most delighted. The thing that draws his joy more than in, forth more than anything else is the children he has made. Irenaeus, he was um, singing as I were going with the uh, early church theme. Irenaeus, he's one of the most important early church fathers. Uh, he actually, he studied under a guy named Polycarp who studied under the Apostle John, right? So this guy was early, early. Uh, two generations from the apostles kind of thing. Uh, and he famously said, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. There is something about a person discovering life in Christ that brings glory to God more than almost anything else. He loves his people, and he loves it when his creation live full lives. Jesus himself said this, didn't he, in John 10.10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is the intention of the Lord God that you have life and have it abundantly. It brings him joy. We were created to the glorious lives of love and of joy with God, our maker. So I just want to put that before you today to say, if you have an image of God that is dour, I think it is out of step with the real God that exists His joy came before you, and he's made us, he's made you to join in his joy. Let me put an asterisk there, because I know there are people in the room who have a difficult relationship with the concept of joy because of depression. And so when I say God has made you for joy, you're like, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) It just sounds a bit flat and a bit trite and a bit unreal really. You're just going to have to take God's word on this one, guys. Like, I believe that although you might struggle with depression today, you will not always struggle struggle with depression. That is not your eternal state. It is temporary at best. And your Lord has still made you for joy, whether or not you believe that now or not. He has. He wants you to have that. And maybe today, you just need to hold tight to that hope that one day you'll get to experience that in its fullness. No one in this room has experienced anything like that in its fullness yet. But there is a day out there, and it is coming, and it is one day closer than it was yesterday, where it will be yours. So take him at his word. Trust him. He, he's going to give you that joy. So firstly, God's wisdom came first. We stepped into his universe, not the other way around. We're living in his universe. 
So we need to adjust ourselves to that. Um, secondly, his joy came first, right? The world only exists because our God is a happy God, and that joy overflowed into creation, and it will one day be ours. And finally, God's Son came first. You know, this, this chapter of talking about wisdom dwelling with God in the beginning, um, and we went at pains to say it's not a direct one-to-one equation with, with Christ. Um, having said that, it's not like there's no connection at all, obviously. Right? This is, it's, they're not equated, but they are absolutely related. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Lady Wisdom. He is the ultimate fulfillment of Lady Wisdom. He is wisdom in flesh and in bones. He is the wisdom of God. You know, the Greek philosophers um, believed that behind the universe... There was a principle, a kind of a cosmic principle that animated all things, that directed all things, um, which they called the Logos, which we might translate as reason or word or uh, principle, speech. It's kind of got, it's one of those words that's got a bit of vibe to it. Um, the Apostle John, Jesus, one of Jesus' very best friends and disciples, he then, in writing about Jesus, he opens the gospel by claiming that Jesus is himself the logos behind the universe. He's the principle. He's the wisdom behind the universe. He's not a cosmic principle like Lady Wisdom. He's a cosmic person, a person to be known and to be loved. And so this is what John had to say about about his friend Jesus. Again, get it through your head. This is what a man had to say about his friend, whom whom he loved. He says, in the beginning was the logos. In your Bible, it'll say word. That's how the, how the English translates it. But this is, the, this is the Greek. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. So the, 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 the wisdom in the beginning was with God, and the wisdom was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was treated shamefully, wasn't he? He was rejected by his hometown, rejected by his family. He was abandoned by his friends. He was tortured and killed. When wisdom came to earth, we killed him. (laughs) Isn't that horrific? Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You know, this gift of adoption we see being offered to all humanity. It's for those who receive the Logos. Receive the Logos. He is the wisdom of God in flesh. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And he is to be welcomed and received and to be known and to be loved. He's a person. And Proverbs 8 here is teaching us today that we've, we've all woken up in that world. That's the world God has made. That's who the Logos is. We didn't make him. We didn't invent him. 
He was there first. And we've all just happened to wake up in that universe this morning, right? We didn't leverage our way there. We didn't bargain our way there with the Lord. He just put us here. And he said to those who would receive him, they might be called children of God. Friends, wisdom has a name. Wisdom has scars. And wisdom has loved you and suffered for you and died for you to welcome you into his family. You might have the right today to call God your Father. And so today, I invite you to come receive wisdom, not just the idea, but the person, and receive the right to be called children of God. Let's pray. Lord, we have such a high view of ourselves we genuinely think that if enough people say something is true, that it becomes true. Well, give us the wisdom to recognize those situations in which we are just in denial of what you have said, what you've done, the world you have made. Give us eyes to see it. Help us see our foolishness. Give us that right prescription, Lord, that we might see the, the leaves and the trees and the stars in the sky, that the wisdom that knows that you were here first and we're living in your world. And we don't have the right to just go against that, Lord. Or at least when we do, that'll go badly for us. We'll crash into the truth and it'll hurt us. So give us humility, Lord, to, to accept our place in the world. Give us the wisdom to navigate a complicated world, Lord, and complicated times. Uh, we need your wisdom. We need more wisdom than we have, Lord. Uh, but you have promised us again and again and again through Proverbs, Lord, that those who seek wisdom will find it. Those who ask, to them it is given. So give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom. And especially give us wisdom in the person of your Son. Help us walk with him every day. Help us live our lives in the knowledge of his kingship over our lives and his friendship in our hearts. Lord, we love you. Would you help us love you more? And pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.